This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. I think it feels good because there's a spirit of spirit of humility and cooperation and obedience puts us in a good spot. I've tried to um, move on from Jeremiah 29, but I haven't yet gotten loose from it, so we're still hanging around there today. And um, of course, we started by considering one of the most popular and common verses of Scripture in the Bible, Jeremiah 29:11, that says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But we can't just take that verse, as we've already talked about, and pluck it off the page and take it out of context and and sort of try to apply it, you know, literally to everything that's going on with us right now. But that doesn't mean that it's not applicable. doesn't mean that it doesn't carry a lot of strength and energy and power from the Lord for us. But if you are going to consider any portion of Scripture, you have to do that inside the context. And we talked about that already, and we're going to continue to consider it that way. So, quick review is that Jeremiah 29 is a message that God has given to the prophet Jeremiah for him to send on in a letter to those who have been exiled in Babylon. And specifically, it's addressed to the leaders and the uh, wise men, the strong men who have been taken to exile, including, it says, the king. So um, very important words that is sent off to important people. And so what do we do with it? How can we benefit from it? Because we're not in the exact same situation they were in. We have not been... Uh, besieged we haven't been uh not in that sense anyway we have been besieged but not by the babylonians and not hauled off 400 miles away to another country we haven't been taken captive and now being forced to work as slaves free labor for for a foreign king in a foreign land we haven't experienced those kinds of things but we do have some experiences that we're walking through that cause us to be able to identify with Jeremiah 29 and to find some answers there for what's going on with us. And I think the reason we're still hanging out there is because there are a a couple of really, really important questions that are common today that I hear all the time, have been hearing for a long time, that we need to give serious consideration to and to see if we can find some kind of answer for Now, some questions can't be answered, so I don't waste any time dealing with those questions. If you ask me a question that I know can't be answered, I'm not going to do what some folks do and try to ramble on and sound smart, but never really get to the answer. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know. What's your next question? You know, um, and and, and I have to give that answer a lot, you know, because there are a lot of questions that I just don't know the answer to. And I think it's okay to say, I don't know. Don't you think that's okay? Don't you think that's better, actually? 
than to ramble on and try to sound smart, and ultimately, whoever you're talking to knows you don't know anyway. It just makes it worse. So, there are some questions we can't get an answer to, but there are some questions that we can. And today, we're going to deal with a couple of questions to which there is an answer, but it may not be the answer that we feel like we need at the outset, but what I'm going to attempt to do today is to convince you by the time we're done that you don't really need the answer that you think you might need. What you need is the answer that I'm going to give you. Now, I know that that sounds presumptuous and arrogant. It's not really my intention for it to sound that way. This is the way God operates. Not me. God operates is that he's going to give us the answer uh, based on our submission to him, his will, his purpose, his plan, based on our commitment to obedience to his words. He's going to give us the answers that he knows we really need. That's different from the answers we might think we need, but they are the right answers because they're his answers and they're the answers that he knows that we really need. We need to settle ourselves on the truth that God's answers for us are always going to be better than any other answers that we might think we need. His answers are always going to be best. So what are the questions? How do I know that God is speaking or God is doing something? How do I know it's Him? How can I know it's not just somebody making something up? When somebody says to me, the Lord said to me this, that, or the other, how do I know the Lord really said it to them? When I hear a preacher or a teacher say, I got a word from the Lord, how can I validate that it really is a word from the Lord? Where can that confirmation come from? We talked about prophets a couple weeks ago, and I heard somebody say that uh, one, one pastor preacher said, and I, and I tend to agree with this, that if someone comes to you with a word, it's always going to be a confirmation of something the Lord is already dealing with you about. It's not going to be something straight out of the blue that you've never heard of that's going to bowl you over with surprise and shock. It's going to be something that the Lord's already knocking on your spirit about. And when someone comes to you with that word, that prophecy... It's going to confirm what the Lord's already doing in you and saying to you. Now, I'm not one to ever put limitations on what God can do or might do, so I'm not going to say that's the only way it could ever work, but I'm saying that's probably the most common way that it works. So, if someone says to you, the Lord gave me a word for you, or someone says to you, the Lord said this to me. Does it confirm what's going on in your spirit? Does it align with things the Lord is already teaching you out of His words? Does it settle in you as something that cooperates with 
what God is already doing in your life. If it creates confusion, if it creates a strain, a stretch that goes against what you're already hearing and knowing and learning from God by His Spirit through His Word, if it creates confusion, guess what? It's not from God. I can say that unequivocally because the Word tells us that God does not author confusion. If it creates confusion, it's not from God. Now listen, there's something I've already said that we have to know, that we have to deal with before we move any further. If you are not living a life of obedience and devotion and digging into His words and ingesting those words and allowing them to transform you from the inside out, then there's a great likelihood you're not going to know whether what somebody says to you aligns with what's going on in your spirit because there's nothing going on in your spirit. Don't, don't expect that God's just going to show up and do everything and fix everything and answer everything and send somebody along who's going to give you profound information that's going to help you if you are not living the life of a true disciple already. Requires your commitment to that. How do I know what God is saying? How do I know what God is doing? This is a Subset question to that question. Is what's happening in America today the judgment of God? Follow me now. It, is God intentionally and willfully doing things to America, such as terrorist attacks, such as natural disasters, such as coronavirus, such as war, such as racial tensions that haven't been this intense since the 60s. Is God intentionally, with His hands in the middle of it, doing any of that stuff to us as an act of judgment on us for our disobedience? That's a powerful question. I'm going to give you the answer to that question. It's an answer that I already told you is going to come often when you ask me a question. I don't know. I don't know. Some people say it is. I don't know. Some people say they've gotten a word from God on it. I don't know. Some people say if you line it up with scriptures and prophecies and all that, that you can land nowhere else except that that's what's happening. I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time trying to align it, trying to figure it out. I just don't know. Is what's happening not maybe necessarily God intentionally doing these things to us, exacting this punishment on us, but He's just standing back, allowing it to happen because of our disobedience? I'm going to give you the answer to that. It's a three-word answer. I don't know. I don't know if that's what's happening or not. 
I'm sorry, I guess, if I'm a pastor, teacher, preacher, I guess I'm supposed to know all these things, but I just don't know. The third possibility, does God have nothing to do with it? Is this just the way things go for people on the earth as time goes on? People have always experienced bad times, hard times, bad stuff. Is this not God doing anything at all? Is God not involved in it? Is God not saying yes or no? Is he not just standing back and willfully allowing it to happen? Is he not intentionally making it happen? He just don't have anything to do with it. You know the answer already, right? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the the really um, comforting part of all that for me. I don't have to know. I don't have to know. Traps are not always made of steel jaws and springs or of trap doors and baits. Sometimes they're made of the thoughts in your own head. I can get caught up with all these thoughts about what's going on. I can get embedded in trying to figure out what's going on. I can spend a lot of time, invest a lot of energy into trying to figure out, is God doing it, is God letting it happen, or is God have nothing to do with it at all? And I will do all of that at the expense of the good works I should be doing. Because it is not mine to know everything. If I knew everything, I would be God. It is mine to be obedient to what He's told me to do while all this stuff, whatever it's happening, is going on. What is God doing? What is God saying? He's doing a lot and He's saying a lot and it requires that every morning we get up and say yes. Say yes to His words. Say yes to His ways. Say yes to His works. And to jump in the middle of them and to spend our time and our energy doing whatever it is that God has purposed for us to do inside of His Big picture work that he's doing in the earth. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, if we're going to consider how to deal with what God is saying and what God is doing, we just need to peruse Jeremiah chapter 29 and to see how many times the issue of what God is saying is visited. First, in the fourth verse of 29, just the first part of that verse, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. What's the point of us taking that little piece of one verse and putting it up on the screen and giving it any consideration today? The point of it is this. We spend a whole lot of time giving attention to a whole lot of voices. Entertaining a whole lot of opinions. Considering many different theories and philosophies and ideas. And what we need to do is to draw our focus in and to consider what is it that the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, is saying. 
What is he saying? How important is it to consider every day what it is that he's saying? And if we spend a lot of time and invest a lot of energy going to what he is saying, it will be at the expense of what these all other voices are saying. Which, by the way, is a very, very good thing. Verse 10, first part, says this, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. It's like before Jeremiah says anything to the people that the Lord has given to him to say, he emphasizes time after time after time how important it is to hear these words. How important it is to give consideration above all and over all to what God is saying. You see, even in their day and time, a lot of people were saying a lot of things. He has to chastise the people in this same chapter for listening to too many voices. He says, you're listening to all these people who are acting like they know what they're talking about, who are clamoring, who are trying to give you instruction, who are trying to tell you what to do, who are trying to tell you what God is doing and saying, and they are liars, and they are false prophets, and you need to shut them down in favor of whatever it is that the Lord is truly saying. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 25, same thing. This is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says, verse 31, send this message to all the exiles. This is what the Lord says. Why can't Jeremiah just open up the chapter by saying at one time, hey, pay attention, this is what the Lord says. Because we as human beings are thick up here and we tend to forget <laughs> and we get bogged down inside of what's going on in our lives and pretty soon there have been some layers that have been added to us that make it more and more difficult for us to remember and to see and to hear what it is that God is saying and doing and we add more layers because we stop paying attention to the instruction to pay attention to what the Lord is saying. And we begin to be controlled by circumstances. And our emotions and our feelings and our thought processes are guided by whatever it is that's going on in our lives. Jeremiah knows that. That's what's going on with these people. This is a group of people that for many, many hundreds of years now have been living in a pattern. They'll hear the word of the Lord, they'll obey it for a minute, and then they're back to the same old stuff. They'll walk in obedience for a short period of time, then they're back in the ways of disobedience because they forget about what the Lord said and what the Lord is doing. So Jeremiah says, I'm going to do my very best here 
to seal this message in your hearts and in your minds. This is what God is doing. This is what God is saying. Pay attention to it every step of the way. So, what is God saying? What is He doing? How do we know that? How do we get into it? We stay simply. We stay simply close. We have to stay very close. Very close. Close to each other. Close to the Lord. Close to the Word. Close in prayer. It's more, I, I know that, you know, we couldn't gather in the building for a while, and some people still don't want to come back to the building for reasons that are justifiable and understandable. But let me tell you something. There is nothing in, now at this point in history that we can do that is more important than to stay close to each other. To consider each other as family. To look at each other as brothers and sisters. To share in fellowship, to share in communion, to share in bearing one another's burdens. There's nothing we can do that is more important other than our own personal life of obedience to Him than to make sure we're doing that inside of the context of community. If you think it's a good idea to go it alone, to fly solo these days, you're going to find yourself in a world of trouble. When the wolves move in closer than they are now, you're going to find yourself unprotected. You're going to find yourself exposed if you have not circled up with the brothers and sisters that are inside the kingdom community that you're part of. We need to stay close. And within that community, we corporately and individually move in close to the Word all the time. The Word should never be far away. Never be far away. Tracy was telling me she's just a few weeks or whatever from finishing up reading the Bible all the way through. Through this Bible app that she has. And she showed me how when she reads a verse in the, in the translation that it is in, that you can just tap right there and then it'll give you five or six other translations that you can read that same verse. That is powerful stuff. That is life-giving stuff that is so important, I can't even put words on it. Staying close to the Word, that's where the answers are going to come from. That's where the strength is going to come from. You know, you don't have to sit around wondering and struggling to know what God is saying. He gave us 66 books of what He's saying. Not to say that He can never say something new, but He's not going to say something that contradicts what He's already said. So it's a very good place to start is with what He's already said. Staying close to the Word. Staying close in prayer. Remaining full of prayer all the time. Meditating on those things that we know. Meditating on those things that we've read. When I was considering this this week, I thought about Ephesians chapter 6 that gives us instruction on the whole armor of God and how maybe, maybe along the way some of us have sort of gotten the wrong picture in our minds of what that, that uh, beautiful word picture of the whole armor of God is all about. And here's what struck me this week as I thought about it. There is only one part of it that indicates an offensive weapon. 
So I've seen illustrations, drawings, paintings of somebody's idea of what the whole armor of God is all about. And you have this giant warrior ready to go into battle. And he had, has on his helmet, and he has on his breastplate, and he has on his belt, and he has on his shoes, and he has a shield in his hand, and he has a sword. And it gives us a, a military type of, a, of a thinking about it. We're going to war. We're going to do battle. We're going to slay the enemy. We're going to, his blood's going to run in the streets by the time we get done with him. There's only one offensive weapon mentioned. Everything else is about protection. Everything else is about protecting ourselves from scheming, from lying, from deception, from trickery. Listen, you're never, ever going to go out in a field somewhere dressed up in armor and have a face-to-face -face confrontation with the devil. It's not going to happen. You're not going to have a fist fight with a demon. Now, I know people who say they've had dreams and a devil de demon attacked them and they struggled and whatever, and I'm not discounting that. But in terms of real flesh and bone, face-to-face, -face, throwing hands at each other, you're not going to be fighting any demons. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make a bold statement to you today, which would be challenged by a lot of people, but I would challenge them to bring the Scripture and let's talk about it. It's not your responsibility to fight the devil. It's not your job to fight demons. All this whole big mess of spiritual warfare that came around a couple decades ago and just dominated the church. Well, the church has been doing spiritual warfare since day one. You know what spiritual warfare looks like? Putting on the helmet of salvation every morning when you get up. Saying, Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my rebellion. Cleanse me. Renew my spirit one more time. Establish your mercies in me once again. Give me your salvation over and over and over, perpetually every day that I live. That's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare looks like putting on righteousness, covering your heart, covering your soul, covering your spirit with the righteousness of Christ because your righteousness is just not good enough to get the job done. And there is no devil in hell that can contend with the righteousness of Christ. That's what spiritual warfare looks like. Putting on the belt of truth. Not expecting God to do anything for you unless you align yourself with His truth. Unless you worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, you've committed yourself to the truth. That's what spiritual warfare looks like. To put on shoes that are called peace. That everywhere you go, you're a peacemaker, not a warmongerer. 
You walk in a room, peace walks in a room with you. You're not here to fight. You're not here to cre create more chaos and add it to what is already going on. You're here as a peacemaker. You're here as a believer in the peace that passes all understanding that Jesus said he was giving to us. That's what spiritual warfare looks like. All this is symbolic. This is not us getting up and putting on a helmet and a sword and grabbing a sword and, and all this military gear and go running out in the streets yelling at demons. It's symbolic of the way we protect ourselves from the schemes and the lying of the enemy. And there is one offensive weapon involved in it, and that is the Word of God, which is a sword that when we use it, we proclaim it, we speak it, we declare it. It cuts up everything that is wrong. It cuts up and disposes of everything that is a lie and that is deceptive, including stuff that comes straight out of hell through the mouthpieces of the devil, all the way to preachers who stand in the pulpit and, and declare heresy and who are false prophets. It's the Word of God that will cut that up and destroy it. The sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. That's what spiritual warfare looks like. So, just to finish up, back to Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans. This is the Word of God. Is it good for us? Absolutely. Hey, this was written a long time ago to a different group of people, but is it good for us? Absolutely. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's a word from God that's for all of us. Like I said last week, I've heard teachers proclaim, well, that was for them then and their situation. We can't just take that and benefit from it. Oh, yes, we can. Here's how I know. Because you track it all the way back to the beginning. And God created a beautiful environment and he created a man and a woman and placed them there and said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you good things and not calamity. Plans to give you a hopeful future. And when they, when they disobeyed him and they were expelled from the garden, he said to them, now you're going to experience pain and bloodshed and heartache, and ultimately death, but I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you good things. Still, just because you changed doesn't mean my plan changed. Plans to give you good things and not calamity, plans to give you a hopeful future. And when Adam and Eve experienced the first act of war and the first act of bloodshed right inside their own family when one of their children killed the other. I can't imagine a more horrible and difficult situation to have to go through. On the other side of it, God looked at them and in his own way, just, just read it. You'll see it. It opens up in front of you. He declares to them, I know the plans I have for you still plans to give you good things and not to harm you, plans to give you a hopeful future. And when it got so bad that God looked out over his highest creation with disgust and said, I've had all I can take. 
I'm going to wipe out mankind from the face of the earth except for one family who will continue and will repopulate the earth. When that flood subsided and Noah and his family walked off the boat, God's words to them were, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you good things and not to hurt you. Plans to give you a hopeful future. God's always been saying that, y'all. He's always been saying that, and he's still saying it. Still saying it every day. My plans have not changed, declares the Lord. When David was on the run for his life, hiding in caves, had a bounty on his head, out in the wilderness, in the cold, in the heat, dealing with the elements God kept saying to him, I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> just keep getting up every morning and worshiping. Just keep getting up every morning and, and listening to my words and obeying what I say. I know the plans I have for you. They have not changed. A thousand years later, Jesus arrives on planet Earth. And through his arrival, God is saying, I know the plans I have for you. Here's a demonstration of how committed I am to those plans. Plans to give you a hopeful future. I'm giving you my son to seal the deal on my plans for you. And here we are today dealing with coronavirus, dealing with chaos and violence in our cities, dealing with racial tensions, dealing with all sorts of problems and heartaches. And God's still saying, I know, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you good things and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hopeful future. There are people sitting in this room who have been going through some pretty serious struggles. You know, listen, my word for you today is I can't explain all your struggles. I can't explain why good people go through bad things. I can't explain why any of that. I don't know. Here's what I do know. That God's plans for us are not driven or dictated by our circumstances. He has plans to give us good things. No plans for calamity plans to give us a hopeful future so what is God saying the same thing God's always said what is God doing the same thing God's always done I refuse to get bogged down and trying to figure everything out detail by detail but here's what I know I know that God's saying the same thing he always has that his promises have not changed his plan has not changed we can choose to avoid and divert and delay all we want to through our disobedience, but his plans won't change. They will not change. I'm going to pray over you that your commitment walking out of this place will be stronger than it's ever been. Uh, not a commitment to be blessed with God's tremendous blessing, whatever that looks like. No, a commitment to get a hold of his word more than you ever have, to hide it in here more than you ever have,
to be more prayerful than you've ever been, to do more good works than you've ever done. And here's my guarantee. I guarantee that if you'll do that, every good and perfect gift he has in store for you will come your way in its season. In its season, it will grow up as beautiful fruit in your life. That's my guarantee. Father, your word is a sword. And I believe today that it has been wielded in this place and has done the necessary work of pruning, trimming, carving, and, and, and doing a little bit more to form us into the people that you plan for us to be. Forgive us for all the ways we have lived inside our own will and delayed your plan. Forgive us for our disobedience. We commit ourselves today to your word more than ever. We commit ourselves to community and fellowship more than ever. We commit ourselves to prayerful lives more than ever. We commit ourselves to good works more than ever. And we leave the spiritual warfare to you. Lord, when you taught us to pray, you told us that we should say, or we should ask you, to not lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. That is your job. And we surrender ourselves to that today, knowing that we can't do your job. We just choose obedience. I pray blessings over your people for this week of peace and power and provision protection. And we give you thanks in all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here listening and thank you for your giving that can happen as you walk out the back doors pray y'all have a great week